middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for checking out Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that is all about sports in the air capital, Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. For Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor, back for another episode. Weston, how was your 4th of July, man? Uh, can't complain too much. Actually did little of, of anything, but we're getting ready to head down to uh, South Dakota, go see Mount Rushmore and uh, stay at a little uh, resorts, the word that they use, but it's more kind of like a high-end camping ground type area. So that kind of took place of what we were going to do for the fourth, just kind of we're waiting for that and we're headed out Tuesday. So look very much looking forward to that though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we were actually talking about maybe not doing an episode of Keeper of the Games. That was kind of on the table for this week. I know we had talked about moving up the schedule, you know, a day uh, for the next several weeks. But then we kind of talked about, well, with the holiday, you know, and you're going out of town, maybe we just don't drop an episode at all. And then obviously the entire sports world was set on fire. uh, And so that's why we're doing an episode here today. (laughs) We're going to get into that in just a minute. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's great to be here, obviously, with the 4th of July kind of wrapped up we are now uh, into the dog days of summer and we want to remind you for sure to hit subscribe that way anytime we have a brand new episode of keeper of the games you'll get a notification that way you never miss a single episode because hey if you didn't you wouldn't even know that we were doing kind of this emergency episode of keeper of the games here today you can find us on all major podcast publishers out there we're basically everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts like itunes and google podcasts and spotify iHeartRadio, tune in radio The list goes on and on where you can find us there. You can, of course, watch full episodes of Keeper of the Games as well. If you want to see our lovely faces, you can watch it on YouTube and Facebook just by searching for Keeper of the Games. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G pod. And, you know, like I mentioned before, Weston, a lot going on in the world of sports. And that's why we're here doing an emergency episode of Keeper of the Games. Yeah, and you're the you're the reason we're doing that emergency podcast. You're referring to Joey Chestnut breaking his world record, right? That's that's why we're dropping this emergency. Yeah, podcast. we just we felt like we needed to jump on and just chronicle <laughs> that crowning achievement in uh, in sports. No, I mean that was an achievement for sure, but that's not the reason why we're doing a show. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I did have a hot dog uh, myself actually too on Fourth of July. Not quite Joey Chestnut numbers, but uh, yeah, I think the world uh, was turned upside down or at least the sports world turned upside down by the by the pat news today yeah without a doubt and that's uh, you know again that's our top story and that's the story we're probably going to be focused uh, a lot on here today is the record-breaking contract that patrick mahomes uh, has signed with the kansas city chiefs it's a 10-year contract extension uh, that is added on to the remaining two years of his current deal the money is absolutely staggering when everything is all combined and added up you're looking at over $500 million over the course of the next 12 years. Just a, that's a a staggering amount of money. It's obviously a record that is being set, not just in football, but in professional sports overall, we're talking over half a billion dollars for Pat Mahomes ensuring that he'll be a Kansas City Chief uh, until at least 2031. Uh, Just huge news. You know, obviously, we've been talking for a long time about the Chiefs trying to work on something with Pat Mahomes. 
I certainly didn't think that it was going to drop today, uh, but it certainly did. And that's why we're doing this brand new episode of Keeper of the Games. In fact, both you and I are currently rocking our Pat Mahomes <clears throat> jerseys and shirts here today. And I guess we can kind of call that, it the Patrick Mahomes Appreciation Show. That's that. Hey, I'm all in on that uh, as much as I uh, I'll always fanboy over Pat for sure. So, uh, yeah, absolutely monstrous contract. The, the details, it, it's interesting because – while it is a monstrous contract, the details actually look like they could be fairly um, team friendly for as much as you can have <laughs> a 10 year, $500 million team friendly deal. Uh, but, you know, and, and I guess on that note too, you know, it is, it is the largest contract in, in professional sports history. So uh, setting not only NFL records there, but, but sports records, you know, worldwide. Um, but the deal is, it's pretty good. It's uh, a couple of things to note. He, let's see, he, it's basically 39 and a half million a year for the next five years. Um, so then, so it basically that creates seven years of, you know, he's got two left on the deal and then it extended it out another five. And so those extra five are th- at 39 and a half million. He's guaranteed 63 million at signing. Um, his total guarantee increases to 141 million by March of 2022, which I I cannot even fathom what would happen to not for him not to be on the roster come March of of 2022. Um, no matter how bad he plays, he's he's sticking through that point. So he's going to get that 141 million in guaranteed. And I really think those are the numbers, especially in football, that everybody looks at. And I think a lot of folks were surprised how low that money was the guaranteed money was. And I think uh, in part that's, it, it kind of fits with Pat's personality to some degree where him saying, you know, look, I, I think he wants guaranteed money in 141 million. I well, for a, not for a second or any of us going to pretend that's not an incredible staggering amount of money. Um, but he's also not afraid to say, Hey, I'll, you know, I have no problem showing you, I can earn the remaining what 310 million or I guess it'd be more than more than that, 350 million left on the contract has no problem going out and earning it. So that's, I think uh, pretty encouraging to, to see the numbers ultimately, no matter what the numbers were having Pat Mahomes in Kansas city for another 10 years. And really it's, I guess 12, cause you still got two left on the original deal is fantastic. This is absolutely a deal that the Chiefs had to make, right? And I think that rarely are you going to hear, you know, just the vast majority of people say, yeah, you need to lock up a player and, and, and spend potentially a half a billion dollars on one guy for your franchise. I mean, that's rarely, if ever, going to happen. But this is a deal for sure that the Chiefs had to do, you know, considering that, you know, Pat, you know, took the Chiefs uh, to their first Super Bowl title, you know, last year in 50 years. Years, you know, that's that's huge. You know, the fact that he is sort of a guy that transcends sports. He's a guy that has, you know, turned into not even not just a dynamic player on the field, but a vocal, a voice, a leader for not only the Chiefs, but the NFL. He represents the brand overall. This was a deal that the Chiefs had to make. And what's what's funny is that I have yet to really hear anybody of prominence come out and be dismissive of the deal or be negative about the deal. I mean, just about every pundit out there is like, yeah, this is absolutely the right thing to do. And you don't get that on the internet. Almost the internet is always going to find some way, someone who wants to spin it negatively. And you really haven't seen that. 
Um, you know, and so in a couple other deals, as I'm kind of sorting through some of this stuff too, he starting in 2022, he has a $1.25 million incentive for winning the AFC championship, $1.25 million incentive for winning NFL MVP. And it's got around $25 million uh, worth of incentives over 10 years. So taking the value of his deal, that's where it goes from 477 million, which is if you're just looking at the straight numbers, the, the per per year it comes to 477 but with the incentives he can hit 503 million dollars my question is you know not about the contract at all but it, it i guess my question is do you consider this weston a a, a deal a, a contract that really truly is record breaking and here's the comparison i want to give you and i know some people have talked about this over the last few hours or so you know this contract surpasses mike trout with the Angels and the the ten year, I believe it was a four hundred and twenty six million dollar deal that he signed with the Angels. All of that money for Mike Trout is fully guaranteed, though a majority of the money for Patrick Mahomes, however, is not guaranteed. So if you take that out of the picture, I you know I guess that Mike Trout still has the richest guaranteed contract in professional sports history. I don't think that that really takes away or should take away uh, from Pat Mahomes' deal. But at the same time, I do understand the fact that, hey, you know, Mike Trout is guaranteed all of this cash for the entire duration of the contract. It's a little bit different for Pat. Yeah. You know, and the, and the other thing too, though, I, I think with, with Pat, anytime you're a, a quarterback in an NFL franchise, one, typically you can, it is an easier position to stay healthy. Uh, not to say that, you know, that's not compares comparable to Mike Trout, who doesn't matter whether he gets hurt, he's getting his money. Um, but it is, you know, it is a position that's easier to stay healthy, you know, especially Pat will be, uh, I think 36 or turning 37 at the end of his uh, contract. In the NFL, he could. I mean, if you look at look at Brady, look at Favre, look at some of these guys, he could still get another five year deal after making five hundred million dollars. Um, you know, and then you add into the, the the aspect, and from a pure comparing contract standpoint of of Mike Trout versus Pat, I mean, I think for sure Pat would take probably four hundred twenty six million guaranteed over five hundred not guaranteed. Um, but also being quarterback in the NFL, you know, the most popular sport in America. This, I mean, he's a half a million, half a billion dollar man based on his contract. He's going to be a billionaire by the time he's 50 years old. I mean, he is going to be that athlete. The money's going to be there. The endor- You've already seen the amount of endorsements he's gotten. That price for, for, for his time in endorsements now is only going to go up knowing, hey, he doesn't have to do these anymore, guys. So now you're really going to have to pay the man to get a 15 minute spot. And he's, uh, it, it's, I mean, he, it's hard to say this, you know, you know, you don't know someone, but with him, his personality is just so bubbly. You feel great for the guy. I mean, he's, he just seems to do things the right way. I mean, even before the contract was pumping his own money back into the Kansas city community, somewhere where he didn't grow up. Um, you know, it's just, it's really cool to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, if for, as far as chiefs fan is concerned, you, you've got to be excited for the next 10 to 12 years. Let's take a look at some of the current 
uh, richest contracts in the NFL behind Pat Mahomes. And there's a there's a huge drop off from Pat Mahomes and then further down the list. So number two is Matt Ryan from the Falcons. He signed an extension for five years, $150 million last year in 2019. You've got Khalil Mack at number three. He's got a six-year, $141 million contract. Then the only other non-quarterback when you go further down the list is Aaron Donald for the Rams. Uh, he scored right. a six-year, $135 million contract in 2018. But there are a lot of other quarterbacks that are on the list. And what, what I find so shocking about the names on this list, you're not looking at names like Lamar Jackson. You're not looking at names like Deshaun Watson. You're not looking at names like, you know, uh, Tom Brady or, or, or Drew Brees. You're looking at names. It goes Patrick Mahomes, as far as quarterbacks are concerned, Patrick Mahomes at number one, then Matt Ryan at number two, Russell Wilson, which I'm okay with that one, a four year, $140 million contract. Then, you know, Andrew Luck signed a contract. Obviously, he's not currently playing in the league right now, but he had a six-year, $139 million contract. Jimmy Garoppolo, Matthew Stafford, and Jared Goff. Those are names that, yeah, you know, like I can look at Jared Goff as a pretty solid quarterback. Matthew Stafford's been around for a long time, earned that money. Jimmy Garoppolo took the 49ers to the Super Bowl last season. Russell Wilson is a you know, kind of a another one of those big dynamic quarterbacks in the league. But there are some names that are, are are missing from that list as far as the quarterback position is concerned. I think we're looking at names like Deshaun Watson and even Dak Prescott now. Uh, you know, where are they going to fall on this list? I think that not only is this a good day for Pat Mahomes, I think it's a good day for some of these other quarterbacks that are probably next in line to get a payday. Yeah. So, and, and this is a good point that you bring up because it, it kind of. Okay, transi- transitions our conversation into, okay, so what does this mean for the Chiefs going forward? Obviously, on the face, fantastic to have Pat locked up. But you kind of point out something important there, right? You see Matt Ryan. You see, I think Matt Stafford has a pretty big contract. Uh, we talked about, uh, who else did you, oh, Jared Goff. Jimmy you know, Garoppolo. You, Jimmy Garoppolo. You see some of those names and you haven't, I mean, that don't have Super Bowls tied to them, you know, and this becomes an, an, another name that comes to mind is Aaron Rodgers, you know, and yeah. now he's not up there because he signed a deal long enough ago. The money always but, seems to increase. He, he is right under Jared Goff, though, a four year, right. $134 million contract. So he's on that list, too. Right. So this create it creates the, the kind of the conundrum franchises have with quarterbacks, right? Like if you have a good one, you need to keep him. Well, you got to pay him to keep him. And what does that do? Creates that tiny window to make all those other pieces around him fit. And that's what Chiefs have done here. So while not for a second do I think, well, I certainly wouldn't suggest that they shouldn't have paid him this kind of money, nor do I think anybody would suggest that they shouldn't have paid him this kind of money. It makes winning Super Bowls a lot tougher now. You know, there are going to be some tough conversations they have to have now. You know, what does this mean for Chris Jones? What does this mean for the future of Tyreek Hill? We got Travis Kelsey's contract coming up in a few years. The defense has always kind of been a sore spot. All those things become tougher. You have such a smaller window now on draft picks on getting them right. And luckily we've had a fantastic track record. At least, you know, I think so. Brett Veach has had a fantastic track record drafting folks and finding some diamonds in the rough, whether free agency here or there. And and that's going to be, even more important because you have less money to, to fix gaps. Now, you know, you can't, now that you have Patrick Mahomes, you wouldn't be able to go out and sign a Frank Clark more than likely because you're going to need to spread that money around to several different positions. 
So, I, you know, I think it'll be interesting, and, and I'll, I'll be curious to see what, what happens with Chris Jones. I think they've kind of – there's kind of been a couple of – two different really mindsets on that. One, hey, the money's gone. Like, forget Chris Jones being a Kansas City. He's going to have to show up and play on the franchise tag or he's gone. Or two – now that the Chiefs know what they've paid Patrick Mahomes, maybe they actually can work something out with, with Chris Jones because Patrick had to get paid first. I mean, he was always going to get paid first, and now they know what the money is. Maybe it might be easier to maneuver and kind of work around and, and get something done with Chris Jones. Well, you know, and a few points that I want to make, you know, on, to that to that point, you know, first off, when it comes to Chris Jones, you know, you take a look at at the list of the top earners in the NFL currently, and Aaron Donald's on that list. You know, a six year, one hundred thirty five million dollar contract that he signed back in twenty eighteen. That's where the bar is set for, you know, that, that position, that area, you know, obviously Chris Jones is right there. Now, Chris Jones, I think we all know is not going to make Aaron Donald money, regardless of where he goes. He's going to make a good amount of money, but he's not going to make a six year, $135 million contract. The question then is how much lower is he going to be willing to go below the Aaron Donald price point? And is it going to be at a point to where the chiefs can say, look, I think we can probably figure something out. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I, I know that you gave two options there. I wouldn't be surprised if Brett Veach all along has told Chris Jones, we're going to work something out for you, but we need to make sure that we're, you know, we got to get Pat paid. And once we know what that price point is for Pat, then we'll work something out for you. I think that's a reason why, you know, I know Chris Jones in recent weeks and recent days, you know, has said things like, look, I'm not going to report, you know, unless I have a new contract, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think that's all true, but I, I think that he would have come out much more definitively like I'm not returning to Kansas City if there have not been conversations with him and Brett Veach about, look, once we get Pat extended, we're going to get to work on you and we, we're committed to finding a way to bring you back you know, on this team. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, and I think kind of my prediction of how this is, is going to work out and this is I've kind of got some mixed feelings on it because I think Chris Jones, I've harped on this podcast, is a fantastic football player. I think he is clearly the second best um, defensive lineman in the NFL and might be a top five just most valuable def- defensive player altogether. I mean, he is just incredibly disruptive, and, and I don't think maybe folks even appreciate how much he does. But with that being said, I don't, I don't, I hope that the Chiefs don't pay him. He's going to get paid somewhere. And I, I just think that putting that much money essentially into Pat, Frank Clark, and Chris Jones is too much money tied into three players altogether. Now, with that being said, what I would, if they are going to bring him back, what I would like to see is something like a three-year deal where essentially you're paying him probably pretty good money on, you know, two years worth of Pat still on his rookie deal. And I'm actually, you know, I'd be curious to see, I don't know if it's been reported and I've missed it, but how the money is actually spreading around with Pat on these next two years. I, I think the signing bonus of 61 million is kind of supposed to compensate him for, Hey, you're, you're going to go ahead and play out these last two, two years of your deal, but here's 61 million and signing this extension to kind of cover that. Um, so, but there might be some more cap flexibility. You've got the third year then where you've got Chris Jones and Pat and the roster is going to be tight. The money's not going to be able to spread around. Um, but then you kind of can let him go after year three. Now that's, and I don't know, if he would even sign, you know, only a three-year deal, I'm sure he wants five years or so on a contract and you can understand why, I mean, you know, you want to get 
a long lengthy deal and get as much guaranteed as you can. And I, and I, by no means do I blame him one bit for that. I just kind of hope that they don't over, not even overpay him because he's worth it. Just tie up the, the defensive line with that much money, knowing that you've now got Pat, it, you have to pay Pat as much as we're going to pay him. You look at the top 10 list of the highest earners in the NFL, and one thing I think is interesting is that the oldest deal is Jimmy Garoppolo's back in 2017. All the other ones uh, took place in 2018, 2019, 2020. I mean, clearly, you know, the salary cap and that continuing to go higher and higher, teams are willing to go higher and higher, you know, with the salary cap, uh, you know, expanding as well. Here's a question that I want to pose, and this is something that I think a lot of people at first glance of me asking this are going to say that's the stupidest question that I've heard in a long time. You might even think that uh, when I when I ask it, you know, what do you think of Tommy? That's ridiculous. Um, my question, though, is that we, you know, all this talk has been had about this is a great deal for the Chiefs. It's a great deal for Chiefs fans locking up Patrick Mahomes until 2031. Uh, you know, everything that he's got going for him and the fact that he's going to continue to lead this franchise, hopefully build a dynasty in Kansas City. I think the one question that a lot of folks are not asking is yeah, this is a great deal for the Chiefs. Of course it is. Is it a great deal for Patrick Mahomes? Now, I don't know why, you know, I think people are going to say the guy's going to make half a billion dollars. How is that not a good deal for Pat Mahomes? Mm-hmm. But I guess my question is, why wouldn't Patrick Mahomes consider extending a deal for four or five years with the thought of, hey, I'm just going to continue to get better and better and better. Maybe I can garner more money, on, you know, in free agency in four or five years. I mean, I know that, you know, stability is important to him. I know he loves Kansas City. I know he loves that franchise. I know he wants to bring more Super Bowl titles to the city. But at the same time, you know, I know there's it's kind of a risk reward. Like, yeah, he could, you know, continue to grow, and grow, and grow. Or maybe he's plateaued. I'm not saying he has, but maybe he has. And then at that point, maybe he won't get as much money on the free agent market. So I understand both sides of it. But I guess the one question that nobody's asking is: Is this the best deal that Patrick Mahomes could have gotten, uh, or was there a, another way for him to go? Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's probably no doubt that, you know, he probably, I mean, if he was to test an open free agency, there's no doubt he could have probably got more than this, which is bizarre to think about. Um, but I mean, I, th- I think, I think you kind of touched on some of the, the points on, on why, you know, Pat would be interested in, in, in maybe not getting the absolute tip top deal that he could have got. I mean, you, I mean, for instance, you think of kind of who come, a name that comes to mind is Joe Flacco. You know, he got paid after his Super Bowl. I'm sure his agent, Pat's agent, was tell, telling him, you know, look, I mean, you just won a Super Bowl. You were the MVP of the Super Bowl previous year. You were, you know, M- the MVP of the league. Like, you're not going to get the buzz about you is not going to get any hotter than it is right now. You know, it can stay the same because right now everyone thinks you're the best quarterback in the league. So you might as well cash in as big as you can. And to some degree, I I think I think that at least I'd like to think Pat wanted to to some degree wanted to, you know, a little bit like Brady, I guess, where it's, you know, OK, yeah, that's a ton of money and it's over a long ter- term. And but he probably wants to leave some flexibility for the Chiefs to be able to go out and and you know, be able to still compete after five years from now, you know, once you've got a few guys coming off contracts, if he wants to keep Tyreek around, if he wants to keep Trav Travis around. And so I think probably 
and it's not so much from the dollars and cents standpoint, because like you mentioned, you know, half a million or half a billion dollars is a ton of money. Pat is getting absolutely paid, but it's just the stability for him and the stability for the franchise to know where they've got money allocated, where they can go. It's going to make them easier, make it easier for them to bring in or to re-sign guys or bring in new guys knowing Pat's going to be there. And I think that helps Pat win. And I'm, I'm sure that factored in and, to, to his decision to go ahead and just, you know, lock this money up now and kind of settle in with the career in Kansas city. Here's one thing I want to point out. And, uh, and, and again, I, I, I love Patrick Mahomes. I love the chiefs. I love this deal. I love the fact that for so many years of quarterback uncertainty in Kansas city, there's a franchise guy that's going to be around for a long time in KC and, and performing at a very, very high level, probably higher uh, than anybody would have ever, you know, would have ever thought when he was first drafted, um, you know, by, by the Chiefs. So I'm not I'm not trying to be negative at all about this deal. I'm not trying to be, you know, the guy that's going to you know, come in with the other point of view and dissent on it. Cause I do think that it's great all the way around, but there are a few things that I want to point out. You know, there, there's more than just what meets the eye uh, when it comes to a deal like this. And I really thought this was interesting. So uh, the, there really have not been a lot of players that have received contracts of 10 years or more in the NFL. And, and I think a lot of that comes down to just the durability of players in a heavy hitting league like the NFL. A lot of times these players don't, don't last a long time. So there's only been a handful of times that a player's gotten a 10 year deal or longer in NFL history. And I don't know if you know any of them and if, whether you do or you, you don't, I'm going to tell you what they are. Uh, I don't think I do. Yeah. So Donovan McNabb, signed a 12 year deal with the Eagles in 2002 that had a maximum value of 115 million. Drew Bledsoe signed a 10 year, $103 million deal with the Patriots in 2001. Obviously we know what happened there with Tom Brady. Michael Vick signed a 10 year, $130 million contract with the Falcons in 2004. We know what ended up happening there. And Dante Culpepper signed a 10 year, $102 million contract extension with the Vikings in 2003. On top of that, Brett Favre signed a deal in 2001 with the Packers. That was a 10 year, $100 million deal, but a lot of people dubbed it as a lifetime contract back in 2001. The thing that is interesting about all five of those examples all five of those players finished their careers somewhere else. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Pat Mahomes at all. I'm not saying that, you know, he's not going to spend his entire, hopefully 20 year career with Kansas city. But at the same time, you look at these players that are handed these huge contracts for a long amount of time, just like the money's not guaranteed, the overall longevity isn't guaranteed either. You never know exactly what's going to happen. You look at a case like Drew Bledsoe, and I would never wish this on, you know, Patrick Mahomes, but you know, he gets hurt. He goes down for the Patriots and then a guy named Tom Brady steps in and takes over and starts leading that team for a long, long time. So in football, in life, in sports, nothing's guaranteed. So it's okay to be excited about it. It's okay to be really thrilled and happy that the Chiefs were able to lock up a once in a generation player like Patrick Mahomes, but you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, I don't know what the odds tell us. I don't know what it, what things will look like 12 years from now. And if we're going to be talking about, the sixth or seventh Super Bowl win for Pat in Kansas City. You just don't know what's going to happen. So I think, again, I think it's okay to be really excited about it, but I also think it's okay to temper those expectations just a bit. 
Well, and I, and I think that's kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier. That's kind of the, the conundrum NFL franchises get put in with quarterbacks. When you have a good one, you have to you have to keep them. They're so hard to come by that you just kind of have to roll the dice. And it, it's nice that the Chiefs are rolling the dice from a position of pretty much everyone saying he's the best quarterback in football right now. You know, so that's much better than like I would not envy being a Cowboys fan because if the Cowboys pay Dak Prescott, I think that's going to be disastrous. I think he's going to continue to be very good, but not get them over the hump. And then they're tied into all that humongous money that they're going to pay. him. it's not going to be Pat money, but it's going to be up there whether it's Cowboys or anybody else, I mean, someone's going to pay him big, big money. And then it's like, just like I was talking about earlier, you have, that just makes your, it makes it so much harder to build your roster because you have to hit on all these diamonds in the rough draft picks, free agents. You can't miss on a guy or it just puts your franchise, you know, in a, in a whirlwind. But at the same time, you know, you can't not pay Pat, you know, and really, I mean, and this is kind of where I maybe am different than I think what a lot of people preach in NFL franchises. If it's me, if I'm running a franchise, I think there were, there are about three quarterbacks, maybe five quarterbacks that I would pay long-term Pat money to maybe not. I don't mean all the way up to Pat's, but you know, compared to if you're outside that top five, I think it is disastrous for your franchise to lock someone up that long-term and then not be able to pay other players. I think it just hampers them so much. Um, so it, it, just like you said, Kansas City had to do it. It's going to be a great deal, but you're right. You just never know where these things go. And, um, you know, and, and another thing, this is just such a, this kind of off the path a little bit, but I was, as we're bringing that up, I was kind of thinking how much more important the, the draft pick of Clyde's Edward Hilaire is now, because, you know, that adds, He's gonna he's gonna be in Kansas City for another five years as money gets tighter for the Chiefs and that's a he'll, well I mean you hope a dynamic playmaker you know added to this roster if you were to have to lose Travis Kelsey if you were to have to lose Tyreek Hill I mean Sammy Watkins is gonna be gone after this year I would think um, you know I mean that's so those kind of picks do become more important knowing that they're stuck on a rookie deal. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty valuable, you know, for sure. But I think to your point, you know, you're talking about outside of maybe the top three or five quarterbacks not paying them a huge amount of money. You look at a guy like Matthew Stafford, you know, who's yeah. a really solid quarterback for a pretty mediocre football team who's making a lot of money. And in that regard, kind of he's kind of made the lions a little bit hamstrung because they have to pay his contract, but then they can't go out and, you know, spend as much money I'm sure as they would like to uh, on other pieces that would make their squad better. The chiefs are, are, they kind of, they kind of caught lightning in a bottle a little bit, you know, being able to have a guy that took them to the promised land with a lot of playmakers around him that are willing. They're either not making a lot of money or they're willing to maybe not make as much money. You look at Sammy Watkins as an example of that, you know, to continue this run because of a guy like Pat Mahomes, like you mentioned, and, and we both said it, he had to get paid. I don't think anybody is going to be like, oh, that's a terrible deal. Why would they ever do that? You know, but it is it is interesting to take a look at and, and think of a guy that, you know, is three years into the league, two years of really playing in the league. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's done so much, but, you know, now he's he's earned a record setting contract it's just insane to me. And I, you know, I think it would be a lot easier to 
maybe find some more criticisms in it if it wasn't our team. Like I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. Like let's, let's go ahead and, and make this happen. Um, it, it's very, very exciting. And, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, we'll be talking about this in 12 years and being like, man, like that sure worked out incredibly well with the chiefs. He's going to retire a chief. It's going to be awesome. But then you look at it and who would have ever thought that guys like Joe Montana or Tom Brady would finish their careers with another team. You know, just, it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that absolutely may be the case here too, but you know, getting 12 more years of, of Patrick Mahomes and this electric offense. And, you know, like you said, you just, you don't know, but I think especially for a franchise like Kansas city that has struggled to find a quarterback um, for so long to be able to go ahead and lock, lock this up is, is just a no brainer uh, before we, you know, I, I feel like as we're kind of, we've kind of hashed out all the things here. Do you know who, uh, you know, PFT commenter from the pardon my take guys, of he tweeted, he, he, he tweeted today, something along the lines of, uh, you know, if I was given uh, half a billion dollars at 24, I would be dead by 26. So kudos <laughs> for me for not being good at football or something like that. I just thought that was so hilarious. Yeah. Hey, maybe, uh, maybe considering that we're calling this the Pat Mahomes appreciation show, maybe he'll want to sponsor the show. I mean, he's got a yeah. lot of extra cash to do that now. That shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, my, my wife said, oh, are you – are you?" Inter-, when I put on my jersey, she said, oh, are you interviewing Pat tonight? I said, oh, you have no idea. I wish. <laughs> hey, Pat, if you're listening to this and you want to come on the podcast, <laughs> you've got an open invitation anytime, my friend. That's right. That'd be That's awesome. Right. All right, we're going to go ahead and move on away from Pat Mahomes and talk about some of the other big topics in the world of sports in this neck of the woods. We're talking about KU right now. We're actually talking about both KU football and KU basketball, kind of in the same breath as the Jayhawks received a commitment over the weekend for four-star wide receiver Keon Coleman out of Louisiana. And what's interesting about this is that Coleman is planning on playing both football and and basketball for the Jayhawks. Now, he's committed to KU. Obviously, it's a verbal commitment. Uh, Nothing's been signed yet, but assuming that he does sign and assuming that he does end up on campus in Lawrence, he would be the highest, the the most starred, highest recruit uh, that the Jayhawks have ever had in football before as a four-star wide receiver. Uh, And then obviously, you know, hoping to play basketball uh, for Bill Self's squad as well. It's a huge get for the Jayhawks, assuming they can see it all the way through, especially considering that it looked like the main competitor for uh, for Keon Coleman's services was Oklahoma. And considering that the Jayhawks and their football squad got Coleman over the Sooners, I think is a huge get. Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely. I mean, he's six foot four, 188 pounds. Uh, out of Louisiana, which obviously the nice strong ties with with Les Miles there, I'm sure factored in pretty heavily. Uh, the highest rated recruit Kansas has had in football, um, for sure in Les Miles era, and I think for quite a while, if I remember right. I think, um, but yeah, yeah, that, no, that I absolutely. Mean, I really that absolutely. I think it's you know from when they started actually rating recruits. I think it's yeah. the highest ever. Okay, well, yeah, absolutely. There you go. And, and if you look at the schools that were all interested in and offered him, I mean, you're talking about – so you got Arizona, you got Baylor, Florida State. You're talking Kentucky, Memphis, Miami. Um, obviously, we talked about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Mizzou had offered this guy. So uh, Texas A&M, uh, Virginia, Wake Forest. I mean, so this guy can play football, man, and he's going to be fantastic. You got to imagine he's going to see snaps – 
right off the bat for, for less miles than the Jayhawks. I'm sure he'll probably slide in next to Andrew Parchment, who played really well last year uh, on the outside. And, and I know, uh, and really, uh, Stephon Robinson Jr., I think, is probably the guy who prior to Keon Coleman was going to start. And, you know, I, I don't know a ton about him, but I obviously saw flashes from him, played a little bit last year. Um, so, but I'm sure Keon Coleman probably slides in and starts right off the bat. Now on the basketball side, uh, I don't know much about, about his basketball skills, but I mean, he must be able to, you know, I play a little bit because I, you know, the, the walk-on situation for KU are not really walk-ons, you know, that's always very strategic and, you know, it's somebody somebody's very large donor's son that, you know, ends up on the walk as a walk-on or uh, the slew of assistant coaches who've had sons or, you know, former players whose younger brother uh, end up as walk-ons. So to give up a walk-on spot to, to, to Keon Coleman, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, they're hoping to, to get some actual, some playing time out of him. Maybe not, not, I don't mean necessarily next year or anytime soon, but you got to think he's a player for Bill self to sign off on this. Yeah, so my understanding is that Coleman is in the class of 2021. So, I mean, we're looking at a little bit longer for him. I mean, it's not going to be oh, next season. So, gotcha. it looks like it's going to okay. be two seasons from now. Uh, but still, you know, ought to make an impact on both the football field and on the basketball court. Uh, you know, he, like you mentioned, you know, he's 6'4", 185. He's a national top 150 rated player. Uh, he plays defensive back at the high school level as well as wide receiver. And he averages 20 plus points per game for his basketball team uh, in Louisiana. What I think is really interesting and probably the, the biggest thing that, that I would imagine get, that gets a guy like Coleman to commit to a program like Kansas, at least on the football field, is that Bill Self took an interest in it. You know, it's almost like Bill Self, I wouldn't be surprised, helped recruit Keon Coleman for the football team. I mean, he's going to make more of an impact on the football field. You would think, you know, he might contribute for the basketball team. Um, you know, but the fact that, you know, he's going to come right in and probably start to produce immediately, uh, for this KU football team. I think you have to tip your cap to build self a little bit, right? I mean, you know, nothing against less miles, but let's, let's look at the, the Jayhawks football program. You know, it's just, it's not strong. It's getting better. You know, less miles and his coaching staff, they're bringing in, uh, some, some more highly regarded recruits into that program. But for a four-star guy who had offers from, I mean, you listed them all off, including the Sooners, and he chose the Jayhawks, I think you have to, you know, kind of point it right back to Bill Self as a guy who probably said, look, like, yeah, if you want to come play basketball too, we'll try to find a place for you and you can play football. I would imagine not a lot of the other programs were willing to sort of have that flexibility with him. Yeah, and to some degree, you got to think that uh, Keon Coleman is quite the competitor to think that, you know, hey, I'm, you know, this big time football recruit. Obviously, he's very good at basketball, too. But thinking, you know what, I don't I don't care that I'm not getting a scholarship. I am I want to go to Kansas because I think I can play football and basketball and like actually play. You know, I don't think I don't think Kansas basketball really factors in that much if he's kind of just thinking, hey, I'm going to go sit on the bench and do this and that. I mean, you'd, you'd got to imagine that like you said it, the basketball side did factor and it's cause he wants to play for a good basketball program. So pretty cool to see that happen. And you know, that, uh, I would have loved to kind of see the inner inner workings of this. Cause I'm sure Les miles and bill self both had, you know, many conversations kind of about this process and kind of worked, worked stuff out together to some degree. So, uh, I think that would have been really interesting to kind of, to see how that unfolded. 
Yeah, let's take a look at that overall recruiting class for KU for the class of 2021. So currently, you know, I think before this commitment, they were ranked 51st in the country and 7th in the Big 12, which isn't great, but it's better than where KU had been in the past. And with this commitment, KU football now has two players who are in the national top 150 for the class of 2021. So that's obviously Keon Coleman and then running back Devin Neal. So they've added a couple of skill players that are really, really highly regarded as recruits are concerned. That would make them two of the highest rated recruits for the Jayhawks since recruiting rankings became a thing. Uh, And and so it makes me wonder – you know, are we are we seeing some anomalies here? Are we seeing exceptions to the rule, or are we starting to see the tide turn and things change a little bit for the Jayhawks as far as their football program and recruiting is concerned? Are they going to be able to, on a more regular basis, start to try to attract and compete for these four-star recruits and maybe even someday grab a five-star recruit for the program? Are we going to start to see that tide continue to turn, or are these just kind of exceptions to the rule of KU is mediocre in recruiting? Well, and it, it's interesting, right? Because this, it, it, you can't, you can't win without the recruits, but it's hard to recruit if you're not winning, right? So yeah. it's like which which comes first. But really, I think a lot of a lot of times how these programs kind of get turned around, and you're hoping that this is kind of what you're seeing out of Kansas is. Maybe necessarily on the football field, we haven't seen a turnaround per se, but when you get a four-star and then now you've got two four-stars coming in in 2021. Now, if you don't think that all a lot of these guys aren't high school prospects, aren't checking the rivals board and seeing who's going where, and now all of a sudden, okay, Kansas has two four-stars. Now, you know, the quarterback down the road in uh, Colleyville, Texas, now he's a little bit more excited about the opportunity to go play with a couple four other four-star guys, maybe that he's known in the Texas seven-on-seven circuit for however long and this and that. Now he wants to – and that you know, it's just a domino effect on the recruiting trail. Um, so you really do hope that they can kind of take some of this momentum, at least on the recruiting side. Um, obviously, it has to turn into wins on the field, I think, to continue the success you have recruiting. But um, it, it is interesting to see which comes first, the wins or the recruiting, because it's hard to do either without the other one. Yeah, without a doubt. So just a, a little clarification about uh, Coleman. So he is the highest rated high school player that KU football has gotten a commitment from. They did have two other higher rated recruits, but they were both transfers. They were both Juco transfers coming in. So uh, he's the highest rated high school recruit. And this is what's crazy to me. Second on that list is Puka Williams. And we all know what Puka has done, uh, you know, during his time at KU. So, you know, obviously, if that's any indication, you know, we're probably looking at a guy in Kean Coleman that could be a bona fide star for the Jayhawks uh, on the gridiron come 2021 for sure. So that's a huge get uh, for KU. Now, obviously, we'll see if uh, he actually signs with the Jayhawks, a ways to go uh, before that actually happens. But for sure, an exciting get for the Jayhawks for both football and basketball. We're going to go ahead and transition and talk some baseball news. We'll talk about the Kansas City Royals a little bit. You know, baseball is has kind of relaunched. We're kind of in spring training 2.0, or as Major League Baseball likes to call it, summer camp, which I 
I hate that term. I think it's really stupid, but uh, they're calling it summer camp and uh, the Royals are practicing. They're working out, they're scrimmaging, they're getting ready to relaunch the season later on this month, but not without some news on the COVID-19 front. Salvador Perez has tested positive for COVID-19. That announcement was made just a couple of days ago. Uh, and so he is currently not with the squad. Now, obviously, Weston, there's a, a good amount of time between now and when the season actually starts. Is this a concern for Kansas City? It's not a it's not a concern for Kansas City, I don't think, but I think it is a concern for baseball as a whole, um, and not necessarily. I think at this point, baseball is going to be played. It's going to continue to be played, but I think every team is going to worry about having to have a guy miss for for two weeks. Or and I think if I understand right, it isn't necessarily two weeks. I think they all they have to do is have uh, two negative tests with it back to back with with 24 hours of separation between them to be then cleared to play again. So in theory, you could just be, you know, I think they're going to be testing a lot, but in theory you could catch the back end of, of your window. And then, you know, maybe three days later, test negative, have 24 hours between and, and test negative again and be back on the field and only miss a few games as a result. Um, but you know, it sounds like, you know, no, no real asymptomatic for Salvi, no problems there. Um, but like I said, I mean, I think it's just going to be a lot of work for, all the MLB franchises to keep their guys clear and on the playing field. It's got to be a little frustrating though, for Salvi, considering that he worked his way back from the injury last season that he missed the entire season for, I'm sure was chomping at the bit to come back and play baseball. Then obviously the start of the season has been delayed because of COVID-19 then camp starts and he is diagnosed with COVID-19 and has to go into quarantine. I would imagine, and you know, you never know this from a guy like Salvador Perez, who is just so bubbly and happy all the time, but I would imagine it's been a pretty frustrating year, year and a half, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, God, I mean, you know, having Tommy John as a catcher, not only that, I mean, let's just start there. I mean, having Tommy John when you're not a pitcher, that's yeah. got to be frustrating enough as it is. So, you know, I'm and for a guy who just radiates love, the love of baseball, I'm sure it has just been driving him nuts, not being on the field and hanging out with the guys. And, and he also, you know, I could see him having the same personality also struggling a little bit to uh, work within the, the – quarantine rules of what's going to be put in place just because he is or seems to be such a sociable outgoing want to be around people kind of guy so uh you know i'm sure it's been it's been frustrating and i'm so excited to get to see him gun somebody down at second base here in the near future He's not the only Royal in the news uh, as it relates to COVID-19. So there have been a lot of players around Major League Baseball that have decided to actually opt out of the season. They're not going to play some star players like David Price, Ryan Zimmerman, Felix Hernandez, uh, Ian Desmond, and then even some players like Mike Trout and Chris Bryant are kind of on the fence about what they're going to do moving forward. One player who is not on the fence as of right now is Whit Merrifield, uh, who basically said, look, I've got an obligation to my teammates, to the community, to the fans. I'm going to play in this shortened season. Not only did he say that, but he also talked about how optimistic he is for a 60-game season for the Royals. He thinks that the Royals are set up pretty nicely for that 60-game stretch. Uh, Do you agree with Witt? I mean, do you think he's a little bit overly optimistic about the way that COVID-19 is going to play out and the Royals' success in that regard? You know, I mean, I think it can kind of be pros and cons to them being a young team um, 
and I guess part of his point in that conversation, so he kind of had a couple things to say, right? You know, hey, they've got they've got a healthy Alex Gordon back, who's older, and now he's only asked to play sixty games. They've got Greg Holland out of the bullpen. You know, that's another kind of uh, you know older, but hasn't been healthy. He's supposed to be healthy again. Hopefully, for sixty games, you can really max through his effort. Um, then you've got some young, big power arms. You've got Josh Stalmont. You talked about him a little bit coming out of the bullpen. Um, and Trevor Rosenthal, who's another, uh, is a vet. Um, so, you know, maybe it is kind of a nice mix, I guess. You do have some vets in a few positions and then a lot of youth uh, that hopefully can guide some of those young guys. But that's kind of the cons is, you know, it's hard enough for a young guy to navigate you know, the beginnings of an, of a MLB career or the first few seasons. And so then to throw in the added twist of everything that's going on, um, might make that even tougher, but I guess on the same time, I mean, you have less distraction really. I mean, because you're forced to just be with your team, you're just with the guys, you know, you can't really go outside your bubble. Um, it is a shorter amount of time to have to keep your, keep your focus and really, you know, learn the opponents. You're going to be able to see people quickly, um, so hopefully, you know, Danny Duffy is another one that, that, uh, where Whit Merrifield mentioned he's back and healthy and really asked, asking him to, to get through 60 games and, you know, however many starts that would be, I guess. So probably about half of what you normally would have. So, um, it, it is interesting. I don't know. Did what, what were your thoughts on, on his comments? You know, I, I get where he's coming from. And one of the things that I know a lot of people always, you know, talk about in baseball is how it's a marathon, you know, not a sprint. You know, you've got usually 162 games. It's grueling. You're playing those games, you know, over about 180 to 185 days, you know. So if you get banged up, if you, you know, have some kind of small injury, you just have to play through it, you know, because you're not, you, you shouldn't you know, want to miss an extended period of time, you know, during the grueling stretch. And what's interesting about the time that the season is supposed to start towards the end of July, that's about the time of year where you start to see some players begin to break down. You know, that's the dog days of summer. It's super hot outside in a lot of the cities. They've already played a, a, a lot, you know, more than half of the games over the course of the season. And so I do understand his rationale about, hey, look, we've got a shorter amount of games. We've got some guys that they may not be set up super well to play the full season, but they can play 60 and they can probably play 60 at a pretty high level. I think the one thing that is being left out is, you know, a couple things being left out is number one, just the fact that you're packing those 60 games into even a, you know, an even tighter window. And then on top of that, just the unknown of what's going to happen with the season. Like what happens if a few more players get diagnosed? What happens if you're Danny Duffy or you're Alex Gordon or, you know, somebody like that, your Greg Holland comes down with it and then they're out for two weeks. And then do they come back or do they stay out for the rest of the season? It just, there's a lot of unknowns. So I, I get where he's coming from and I understand the rationale, but there are so many question marks that I think it would be nearly impossible to predict anything for this season. Yeah. I, you know, and as I was kind of thinking through this, just as we're talking about it, I mean, I guess part, part of his point though, too, um, that does make a lot of sense. So when you do have the younger guys, so we, we, you and I kind of both just talked about, you know, Hey, the older guys that have maybe not been healthy, they're back, they're healthy. Now you're only asking them to play for a short amount of time with the younger guys. You know, there is kind of an advantage and especially and maybe this is Witt kind of maybe giving a sneak peek at who he thinks is going to be getting innings out of the pitching yeah. staff. Yeah. Um, because when you have young pitchers, I think a lot of times it is easier for young pitchers to find success early while there isn't a ton of tape or data 
on how they like to throw, what do they like to throw when they're up 3-0, what do they throw when they're up 0-2, um, or I, I should say, I said up 3-0, down 3-0, you know, all that kind of data that big league hitters eat up, and once they know what's coming, are going to hit pitches. Now you've got to, you know, work, if the Royals want to throw out a slew of young arms that uh, folks aren't going to be able to get a lot of data on because they're not, they're not just, they're just not seeing them very much. Uh, that could be a pretty good advantage. Now, and to some degree, same with the hitting. I think, you know, you can kind of, I think young hitters, the, their data won't be there. Okay. Hey, they don't hit down and away sliders. Well, up they don't hit up in the zone. Well, but I think that kind of evens out too with a young hitter going through a slump might need a little bit more amount of time to shake a slump where you don't, you don't have time right this season to shake, shake out of a slump. You know, if you, if the team, if the team doesn't score runs for 12 games, that puts you out, out of a race, you know, so you can't, you don't have those growing pains on the, from the, at the plate that you, that I think the advantage you might have from some of the young pitchers. There could literally be a handful of teams that are out of the races after the first 14 days of the season. I mean, that sort of thing could very well happen. So that'll be interesting. We obviously wish Salvador Perez the best as he, uh, I guess, recovers from COVID-19. He's asymptomatic, but hopefully everything turns out okay and he can rejoin the squad uh, here pretty quickly for the Royals and then everything else goes off without a hitch. Let's go ahead and get into our Wichita whip around for this episode of Keeper of the Games. We're going to talk about the Arc Valley Chisholm Trail League and the realignment that has happened in the Wichita area and probably the most notable uh, change in this realignment for this prep league for football is the fact that Mays and Mays South, they're going to get a chance to play each other now regularly and that's a big deal finding financially at least, because over the last two years, those two teams have played each other in the playoffs and they brought in over $30,000 in revenue. So now they're going to be in the same league and they're going to play each other every year, uh, which is definitely good for a rivalry standpoint and also financial standpoint as well. That was, those numbers were staggering for me to see. I had no concept on, you know, how much money a high school sporting event could even bring in i had no idea it was anywhere near that um but overall i I love the idea i think anytime you you have natural rivalries especially at the high school level where you know you grow up in those towns you grow up having your older brother go there and you know i feel like often rivalries can kind of almost run deeper in high school sports than they can college where it's you know a guy from texas comes to school in kansas and he doesn't necessarily know anything about that rivalry where these little high schools, you know, and not, I say little, none of the mazes, but, you know, in smaller towns or communities, the suburb community, you know, they've grown up knowing, hey, we don't like the kids at Maze or we don't like the kids at Goddard. And so it's fun. And, and I'm glad that, that this happened so that they could get more of those games put together. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you, because obviously, you know, you're a, a proud alum of Andale <laughs> High School. Right. You know, you've played at that level. Uh what does the that rivalry mean? I mean, you know, the, the rivalry game. I mean, were there programs that because you were rivals with them, you got more amped up to play them at the high school level? I mean, I know that happens in college. It obviously happens in the pros. I'm sure it happens uh, at the high school level, too. And, and are there teams or were there teams that you felt like, man, it would just make so much more sense if we played them, but we don't. It'd be such a great rivalry if we did. Yeah, for for us, oddly enough, I mean, I was. Uh, this is gonna this is gonna be a not humble brag, just I guess a brag. But when we were playing, at least my last three years, 
really games in the league were, were not really that competitive at all. We kind of ran through the league the last three years or the, yeah, my sophomore through senior year. Um, Augusta was pretty good, but actually, which is, this is interesting that you bring this up. My, this, my sophomore, junior and senior year, probably our biggest rival was Ulysses, Kansas, Ulysses Tigers. Um, We played them in the playoffs. We just happened to play them in the playoffs every year. And it was fantastic games that the Stands were packed. My senior year, there was allegedly like 7,000 people there. I mean, three all the bleachers full, three rows deep standing around the track. Um, and again, so that's kind of that one of those things where it's like we, we created this rivalry with Ulysses that was way out there. Now, granted, that would never work for the purposes of high school sports being, what, five and a half, six hours away from Andale. But um, kind, of, kind of fun. And I do think, I mean, it is I, anytime you can – play those folks that are close to home that, that create that rivalry. I think it does. I mean, it amps things up and especially when you're 16, 17 and 18 and all you care about is high school football and, you know, being the tough guy and, and all that. And I mean, I think our, maybe our other rival was garden plain, but we never got to play them. And I would have loved, uh, I think a lot of us would have loved to have that opportunity to, to play them. So I, I'm glad that they did this. I think it's really neat. Yeah. So talking about the financial impact of this, and and by the way, I'm getting all this data from uh, Varsity Kansas, who came out with this article uh, just a couple of days ago. When you look at a financial level, the highest Kansas football postseason moneymakers in the last three years, the first two are Derby. Makes sense. Derby playing Blue Valley North uh, in 2018 and then Derby playing Olathe Olathe North in 2019. That's number one and number two. Uh, Then you've got Wichita Northwest and St. Thomas Aquinas on the list. You've got some other schools in the Kansas City area that are on the list. May South and Mays come in at seven and eight, which we just talked Mm -hmm. about. The one I find really interesting is the Class 3A state championship in 2018. And that was Pratt versus Sabatha. I think I said that right. Sabatha, is that right? Um, Uh, Up in in the northeast part of Kansas. Uh, That came in at number three, making almost $20,000 on that one game. And that was class 3A. So really, it doesn't matter, uh, for the most part, the size of school. It matters the rivalry and the stakes at hand. And so having the opportunity for Mays and Mays South to play each other on a regular basis, that's definitely good for finances for those schools. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many folks... Uh, go to high school sporting events that don't have an affiliation with either school. They'll go because they're good games. And I think the folks that follow at that level, they also know this is a rivalry game and it's going to be an exciting game. I'd like to just go check it out, you know? So I do think that helps definitely create, create this extra revenue. Absolutely. So a brand new rivalry or not a brand new rivalry, but an existing rivalry, getting a chance uh, to play on a regular basis in Mays and Mays South uh, for the Arc Valley Chisholm Trail League. So that is our Wichita whip around for this episode of Keeper of the Games. Before we get out of here and wrap up the show entirely, uh, our finally funny uh, is something that you don't really know anything about, Weston. So I'm going to kind of tell you about this here on the fly. So this video uh, has not been released at the time of this recording. I think by the time this episode episode drops, uh, it's going to be live and people are going to be able to watch it. Um, but what's really interesting, so this is coming from the University of Kansas and the, and the football program. We're going to talk about, or the, I'm sorry, the basketball program. We're going to talk about Bill Self again and his coaches. So they are releasing a video that's uh, called Coaches on the Course, and it's all of the coaching staff, and they're playing around a golf. And I'm not exactly sure what the competitive stakes are. I'm not really sure exactly what the format is. I just know that um, you know the the coaches are playing against each other in in kind of 
kind of a match uh, that they're going to release, you know, for the fans to watch. The funny part about that, they released a teaser video and there was a moment, and I just found this really hilarious. There was a moment that, you know, Bill Self was walking up to the green, looked like he had hit his shot on the green. His ball was sitting right there. His coaches were kind of all around him and he was walking up to go mark his ball and pull it off the green. So he bends over, he marks his ball, he takes his golf ball away, and he used his national championship ring to mark his golf ball <laughs> there on the golf course, which has got to be the ultimate flex of all time. Like, obviously, his assistants, you know, like I know a couple of them have been around for a long time and were with him when they won the national championship in 2008. But just knowing that you're walking up and you're actually marking your golf ball with your national championship ring, that's a huge flex. He, Bill is fantastic at the subtle flexes or subtle, uh, you know, gestures, you know, just like when he had that, there was that promo video where he was wearing his Adidas basketball t-shirt yeah. with a humongous dollar sign uh, medallion yeah. hanging around his neck. I mean, just the subtle, like little hints and jabs and flexes. I love it. He can't come right out and give you the middle finger, but at the same time, he's going to try to find some subtle ways to, to do that in a really funny way. So that video, uh, I think by the time this episode is launched, I think you'll be able to watch that on all the social media platforms for KU. And then the other, the fi final thing I want to mention before we wrap up the show, this is another story regarding uh, a local coach and golf. I don't know if you saw this, Greg Marshall had his first hole-in-one ever over the holiday weekend out at Crestview Country Club on Friday, which is funny because I played Crestview Country Club on Friday. I did not see him there, mm. but he hit a hole-in-one on number 12 on the north course, 141 yards, hit an eight iron, and apparently put it right in. So congratulations to Greg Marshall, his first ever hole-in-one. Uh, great great for him. Now, if he can just keep some uh, basketball players in the program, he'll be he'll be all set. There you go. Well, that's going to wrap Sorry. things up for our finally. No, that's true. Uh, that's going to wrap things up for our finally funny and wrap things up for Keeper of the Games for this episode. A special thank you, by the way, I forgot to mention them at the very beginning. Special thank you to Title Boxing Club uh, for sponsoring the show. You can check them out at 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. Get a great workout there. You learn boxing, kickboxing, all of that there at Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock again in the shops at Tallgrass. Don't forget to hit subscribe. So anytime we have a brand new episode, you'll get a notification. You can find us on all major podcast publishers like iTunes, Google Podcast, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the other major ones out there. You can find our podcast there. We do have a uh, another change in the schedule for next week. So uh, you'll definitely want to hit subscribe and we're going to be releasing that show next Tuesday or next Wednesday. Is that right? Wednesday, right. Okay, next, yeah. next Wednesday. We'll, we'll next record Wednesday. it late Tuesday night get everything that's that's gone on between now and then and then should drop Wednesday morning. Yeah, so don't rely on us. Just hit subscribe. That way you'll get <laughs> notified anytime there's a brand new episode of the show. Uh, of course, you can visit our website cogpod.weebly.com. Uh, also, you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. You can also watch episodes on our website and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at K-O-G pod. Of course, you can also follow us individually uh, Weston, what's your Twitter handle? At WMills94. I know you're going to go enjoy a few more hot dogs in honor of Joey Chestnut. And, uh, and of course, we're both rocking our Pat Mahomes shirts. So it's uh, the you know kind of wrapping up our Pat Mahomes appreciation episode of Keeper of the Games. You can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. For Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. 
You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 